Mm. Mm. Eric and Shaprina and T and Mark and Mika, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wonderful. You'll hear from them again before we're done. Well, good morning and uh, welcome again to Grace Church. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Stephen Salvis. I'm one of the elders here. It's my privilege to share uh, with you this morning. And uh, so let's, let's get started by uh, taking our Bibles, turning to the first letter of John. First John 1, if you're using the Bible in front of you, uh, it will be on page 1021. 1021, under the uh, seat in front of you, is a Bible if you need it. First John chapter 1. We're going to cover, hopefully, the first four verses of this chapter. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of the letter. That'll actually go through chapter 2 and verse 2, but we'll cover uh, the first four verses this morning, and uh, next week we should be able to get through the rest of the passage we're going to read this morning. So uh, let's begin. 1 John 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the King James Version this morning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness And show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, I'm thankful for the morning. I'm so thankful for your word. Thank you for the privilege of uh, gathering together in this room, and I pray that you will bless each person here. Thank you for their presence. Oh, God, open our minds and our hearts and give us understanding Challenge us today. May your Holy Spirit do a work in the room. Thank you for the truth of this book. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in um, 2004, John Patrick Shanley wrote a play. It was called Doubt, a Parable. This is a play that actually means uh, something to me and Blair. I'll share that uh, uh, with you in just a moment. Um, in 2004, it started off Broadway, it quickly moved uh, to uh, Broadway, and in 2005, uh, it received the Pulitzer Prize for drama, it received the Tony Award for Best Play, again in 2005. In 2008, it was made into a movie uh, with Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Meryl Streep and Amy Adams and Viola Davis. Uh, anyone familiar with the play or the movie? Okay, just a few, just a few. I'll tell you why it means something to me and Blair. Uh, six years ago, February 2013, uh, my daughter Lindsay was in the Anderson University production of Doubt, a parable. Uh, many of you know she was a theater major at Anderson. Uh, she was in her senior year, and uh, uh, several from our church and some dear friends actually made the trek down uh, to Anderson to see uh, Lindsay's performance. There are four main characters uh, in the play. I think there's only four. Uh, the movie uh, kind of expanded that a little more. But there's Father Flynn. Uh, and Father Flynn is the charismatic and progressive priest at this Catholic church. Uh, Sister Aloysius is the very stern and strict head nun of the uh, school that is associated with the church. Uh, Sister James is the very naive and young and new teacher and new nun. Uh, she teaches eighth grade at the school. She wants to uh, trust Father Flynn. She wants to respect Sister Aloysius. 
And she's kind of in the middle. And then there is uh, the mom of a young boy in Sister James's class. And there are some suspicions that Father Flynn is acting inappropriately to this boy. You never know from start to finish if anything has happened. It's left to the viewer, both at the play and in the movie, it's left for the viewer to decide, is Father Flynn guilty or innocent? The movie actually begins, and the play begins with Father Flynn preaching a message. And uh, as he's preaching to his congregants, he says these words, what do you do when you're just not sure? What do you do when you have doubt? Sister Aloysius doesn't like this. And from that point forward, she, she does, just does not like nor trust this man. And she wants to get rid of him. And in her mind, he is guilty of inappropriate behavior toward this student, no matter what the facts say. And at one point in the film, she actually manufactures or lies about, probably better, evidence against him. And he ends up, Father Flynn ends up resigning and getting a promotion to another church. The last scene uh, in this play and in uh, the movie is of Sister Aloysius and Sister James talking to one another and Sister Aloysius saying, I, uh, he's guilty, I know he was guilty, uh, he resigned, he, he, surely that means he was guilty. And the final line of the play, when, as she breaks down and says, but I have such doubt. I have doubt. Did I do the right thing, is what she's saying. I have doubt. In 2017, George Barna uh, took a survey of self-professing Christians. Have you ever experienced a time of spiritual doubt when you questioned what you believed about your religion or a God? Now, these are self-professing Christians. They're not self-professing religious people. Thirty-five percent. Thirty-five percent. Have you ever experienced a time of spiritual doubt when you questioned what you believe about your religion or God? So, look around. One, two, Courtney. You're the third. One, two, Courtney. Mary Kate. You're the third. One. Okay, just look around. Every third person you see. One, two, Tyler. The third person you see said no. 66% every two out of three people 
said yes. 26%. I still do. I still have a crisis of faith. I'm just not sure. 40%. Yes, but I was able to work through it. Only 35% said no, never. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about doubt. I am looking out over a sea of I don't know how many people. I'll say 150. Two out of every three of you. That's 100 people in this room. If there's 150 people, 100 of you are either doubting today or have doubted in the past. And can I tell you how how real this is? After the first service, I had two people actually come to me and say, this was really well-timed, thank you. Because they're struggling even now. Or they know someone who's struggling even now with their faith. 66%. 100 of you. Either struggling with your faith right now or have. The purpose of John's letter here, he states... In the letter, that you may have fellowship with us. That's in verse 3, chapter 1. We read that. That your joy may be full. Verse 4, we read that. That you may sin not. Verse 1 of chapter 2. We're going to get there next week. We read that this morning. That you may know that you have eternal life. Chapter 5, verse 13. That you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Same verse, chapter 5, verse 13. John says, I want you to know, without any doubt, I want you to know this is true. And I'll give you the testimony. There was false teaching going on in the day that John wrote this letter. Here's what some of those teachers were saying. Jesus could not have been human because deity, a perfect God, cannot become part of sinful flesh. So Jesus was not God. Pardon me, he was not human. He never became human. Some said he he was human, but but he was the natural-born son of Joseph and Mary. And when uh, he was baptized, the Christ came upon him, that God blessed Jesus And he became the Messiah at that point. And then when he was on the cross, before he died, the Christ left him. All right? This is the teaching that's that's going on at this time. 
There's no resurrection of the flesh. So he could never have risen from the dead. This is their teaching. The true meaning of the scriptures is non-literal. It can only be understood by a select few. And so those select few can say whatever they want. And you have to buy it. John says, that's all baloney. It's all baloney. And I'm going to face it head on in my letter. You're going to know the truth. And here it is. I like, I, I like words. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. I like words. Uh, I, I loved diagramming sentences when I was in high school. I get, I get it. I get it. I, I get it. I, I know you, you suddenly I'm looked upon as less than because of that. I totally get it. Okay? I'm, I'm confessing right now. Confessing. I like words. I like comparing words. I like, I like seeing in the Bible what one passage says and, and going to another passage and seeing how they correlate and how they intersect. I love John's gospel. Okay? He wrote a letter. He wrote three letters and the revelation. He also wrote the gospel of John. The purpose of John's gospel, but these are written, and you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name, John 20, verse 31. I am writing this gospel so that you will know that it's true and that you will believe it with all of your heart and that believing you might have life through his name. That look familiar to these last two? His purpose for writing the letter? That you may know that you have eternal life? That you may believe on the name of the Son of God? Look at these, first, these uh, verses in the gospel. Chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 14. Verses 1, 2, and 14 of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Listen to what they say. In the beginning was the Word. This sound familiar to what we just read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I told you I like words. Watch this. I think this is kind of neat. Think back. Think, think back. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. That is already was. He didn't come into existence at this time. He already was in the beginning. Now, there are several other uses of the word was. I didn't underline those because they're, they're different. The word was with God. John is saying Jesus is distinct. He is a distinct personality from God the Father. The word was God. Oh, but don't be mistaken. He is God. And the word was made flesh. But the was, that which 
was from the beginning. That was is seen in verse 1 of chapter 1 in the gospel. What else? Well, you can already see in the beginning. Twice, in the beginning was. That which was from the beginning. From the very beginning, he already was. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon with amazement. We'll talk about that. And our hands have handled. We have looked upon. We beheld his glory. I'm going to go into that a little more deeply. But that's what that looked upon, gazed upon, is referring to. We beheld his glory. It was incredible. Of the word of life. I like that I put it in red. It belongs in red, doesn't it? Look down at your Bible. How many of you have a capital W for word in your Bible? How many? Yeah, okay. Thank you. It should be plenty. How many of you have a small W? Okay, okay. very good. Very good. I checked 10 different translations. There were two that I found with a small w. Eight had the capital W. Okay? The ESV has a small w, although there may be some floating around out there with a capital W. Because somebody caught me after the first service and said, hey, I just want you to see there's a capital W in ESV. Not in all of them, because the one I'm looking at from underneath the seat was small. So for whatever reason, they, they changed. But there is a note in, in, the, in uh, Bible.com, you go to the ESV, there's a note, perhaps capital. Here's the reason for that. I want you to understand the reason for that. The capital W word refers to Jesus. The logos, who is Jesus. He is the word. The small w is talking about a message. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, seen with our eyes, looked upon our hands, have handled of the message of life. So the ESV Darby's translation from 1890 is the only other one I saw with a small w. I didn't think anyone would have that one. But King James, New King James, NIV, Holman Christian Standard, uh, NASB, all capital W. That, the small w is referring to the gospel. And it's actually referring to the start of the New Testament. From the beginning, that which was from the beginning, which is the gospel message. Here's my response to that. Jesus is the gospel. Amen? Yes. Jesus is the gospel. So if it should be a small w, and he's talking about the message of life, that's okay. Because in the end, it really is a capital W when we're talking about Jesus Christ being the gospel. Right? That which was 
from the beginning, which we have heard, seen with our eyes, looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested. John 1.1 says he was made flesh. Can I tell you, this is interesting. I checked the definition of manifested. To make clear or evident to the eye or the understanding. So, by making Jesus flesh, God made evident to the eye that he was real. But I like the second part of the definition. To prove beyond doubt. To prove beyond doubt. For the life was manifested. And we have seen it. And bear witness. And show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. He was with God. From the beginning, in the beginning, he was with God. Do you see how these two passages, John chapter 1 and 1 John 1, the first two verses in the letter, the first two verses and verse 14 of the gospel, how they correlate, how they support one another, how John is trying to tell his reader, this is true. Don't be mistaken. You do not have to doubt. So let's, let's dive in, shall we? 1 John 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, from the beginning which we have heard. What did John hear? Now, as I, as I did my study um, and selected verses, I, I wanted to be sure that uh, the Bible clearly states John was present in these moments when these words were spoken. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe John was there. I believe he witnessed that entire conversation with Nicodemus. The Bible doesn't make that clear. I didn't use it. These are the verses I selected, though. What did John hear? I have meat that you know not of. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He said this to the woman at the well, or to the disciples as he was at the woman at the well. Uh, John 4, 32 and 34. I... Am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6, 35. I and my Father are one. John says, which we have heard. I heard him say. I heard him say, I and my Father are one. We're the same. I am God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John eleven twenty five. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. John says, I've, I heard all of this. I heard it with my own ears. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. 
And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. He said this three times. This is from Mark 9.31. He said these words three times to his disciples. They didn't understand it every time. But after his death and resurrection, they understood it. They got the message then. John said, I heard these things. Oh, I saw things too, which we have seen with our eyes. What did he see? Jesus calmed the storm, Mark 4, 35 through 41. The winds and the waves obey him. Can you believe this? Jesus walked on water, John 6, 16 to 21. I saw this. I saw a man walk on water. Jesus gave sight to the blind, Luke 18, 35 through 43. He opened the ears of the deaf, Mark 7, 31 through 37. He made the lame walk, John 5, 1 through 9. He raised the dead to life, not just once, but at least twice. Jairus' daughter and Lazarus, Matthew 9, 23 through 26, John 11, 1 through 44. Oh, and I was there when he died. I saw him die. He was a dead man on that cross. He was buried. This is what I saw with my own eyes. I can testify to it. Put me under oath. Oh, which we have looked upon, which we have gazed upon in amazement. What does this mean? We talked about we beheld his glory. That's what that means. John, Peter, James, at the Mount of Transfiguration, saw Jesus in all of his glory. They were blown away by it, standing with Moses and Elijah. I saw this with my own eyes. His face shined. Oh, I saw it again after his resurrection. The Bible says when he came into the room, peace be unto you men. They couldn't believe, the Bible says they couldn't believe it. They were just filled with such wonder. I can imagine him saying it's not, not in Scripture, so it's not inspired. Close your mouths. Get your chin off the floor. Yeah, it's me. I'm here. Let me read. This verse here, uh, Acts, from Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Just listen to these verses. And when he had spoken these things, when they, while they beheld, this is Jesus, to his disciples. When Jesus had spoken these things, and while they, the disciples, beheld, he, Jesus, was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said to him, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Why are you standing there with your mouths open? 
This same Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. They gazed, they beheld his glory, and they just gazed in amazement. Mm. And our hands have even handled. I taught, hey, I heard him. Do you, do you see the progression here? Do you see the progression? I, I heard him. That's good. That's good. Oh, but wait. I saw him. I saw him. That's good. Wait. I touched him. He wasn't just a spirit. He was real. He was flesh and bone. He was right there in front of me. Our hands have handled. Behold, he said at his resurrection, after his resurrection. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me. Handle me. That's the same word that's found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Go ahead, touch, handle. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. As you see, me have, there is a, um, after, again, after Jesus' resurrection, and that's what this, this word is, is referring to this right here. After the resurrection, we actually touched him. After his resurrection, Mary Magdalene went uh, to the tomb. She wanted to be near, close by uh, to Jesus. And Jesus appeared to her. And she ran to him and just clung to him. And the King James Version actually says the words uh, that Jesus said, uh, Touch me not. The better translation should be, Mary, don't cling to me. It was okay that she touched him. Don't cling to me. I have places to go. I have people to see. I, I need to move on. Don't cling to me. Oh, I saw, heard, touched he was real. Who is this? John F. Kennedy. All of you know that. Okay, John F. Kennedy. I want you to put yourselves uh, in a place mentally where uh, you've never seen uh, Kennedy in a picture like this or on film or uh, uh, never heard him on the radio Never heard his voice, okay? You've never seen him at all. What John is doing in his letter, proving by his own testimony that Jesus was real, that he was who he said he is, would be the same as anyone who came along after John F. Kennedy's death saying, Kennedy never lived, he was never president. John wrote his letter about 60 years, approximately 60 years after 
Jesus' death on the cross. It's been almost 60 years since Kennedy's presidency and assassination. So the timing is the same. If you could not see his picture, if you could not hear his voice, if you could not watch him on film, how would you know John F. Kennedy truly was the 35th president of the United States? I'll tell you. Because there are people still alive who knew him. They heard him. They saw him. They touched him. They shook his hand. He was real as you as you and me. For that matter, go back to George Washington. How do you know he was the first president of the United States? Because people testified to it. And it's written down in a lot of places. That is the same here. It's the same here. John wants to make sure. Look, he understands there may be doubt. He wants to make sure the readers know his own testimony that Jesus was real. I'm running out of time. I'm really sorry. I, my plan was to get through the verse, first four verses. I'll have to get through a lot more next week, the next 10. So I'm going to, let me close up. Yeah, good luck, right? <clears throat> let me go back to that Barna survey. When you experienced spiritual doubt, where did you go to find help or answers? That's the question to the 66% who answered that first question with a yes. Here's the answer. Friends and family, 40%. Listen to me. I'm looking out at a sea of friends and family. Are you ready to point a doubter to the truth? Are you prepared for someone to come to you and say, I'm just not sure anymore? Can you point them to the truth? Be ready to give an answer the Bible says. 37% went to their church or to their pastor. 29% went straight to the Bible. Amen. You know what? I'll go right to 1 John chapter 1. Oh, yeah. I don't have to doubt anymore. Of course, today's day and age, 12% went to the internet. Oh, I have no idea what they found. <laughs> Counselor, 5%. Other, 20%. Can I, um, let me just close with this. There is no doubt. John's testimony is true. It's true. And if you profess Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, you do not have to doubt. You do not have to doubt. And if you are in a place where you do doubt right now, I would love to speak to you. Dennis would love to speak to you. The elders would love to talk to you after this service. We want to talk to you. You don't have to doubt. Because it's true. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Let's bow our heads and pray, please.
Lord, thank you again for your word. It is true. It is true. We know it because of the testimony of uh, men who saw, heard, touched. And we know it's confirmed by the work of your Holy Spirit in our own lives. So I pray today that you would give complete assurance to those who may be wrestling. And I pray for those who may be here this morning who do not know you as Savior and Lord. And they know they're 100% in doubt because they do not know you. Please, may today be the day. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Behind the cross is going to close us.